From the virtual newsroom of Impact Alpha, this is your Impact Briefing for Friday, April 23rd. I'm Monique Aiken. Today, we'll hear from Ray Ramsey and Dr. Tiffany Manuel, my most recent guests on The Reconstruction, another podcast I host on Impact Alpha. And as we end Earth Week, I'm joined today by Impact Alpha's Amy Cortese to talk about the great acceleration in climate action. Hi, Amy. Hi, Monique. But first, here's what you need to know from this week in Impact Investing. In Oakland, East Bay Permanent Real Estate Cooperative is moving forward on the development of a Black cultural corridor, anchored by Esther's Orbit Room, a former club that hosted the likes of B.B. King, James Brown, and Billie Holiday. It's one of dozens of locally driven funds and neighborhood trusts across the U.S. that are fighting gentrification by putting ownership and control of neighborhood assets into the hands of low-income residents and their allies. Transform Finance rounded up the efforts in Impact Alpha. In Canada, the Indigenous Growth Fund raised $150 million to back Native lenders. The fund will invest in Aboriginal Financial Institutions, or AFIs, to get more capital flowing to underserved Indigenous businesses. In Pakistan, early-stage VC firm I2I is seeking an edge with a gender lens. Three of the firm's five portfolio companies are led or co-led by women in a country where venture capital is scarce for all entrepreneurs, and especially women founders. Says I2I's Misbah Nakvi, we are not an impact fund in the strict sense of the word. We are a commercial fund with a gender lens. The Carbon X Prize, which challenged companies to reduce emissions from coal and gas-fired plants, selected two winners, Carbon Care Technologies and Carbon Build. Each won $7.5 million for using the captured carbon in cement production. And 15 entrepreneurs are rolling out solutions to restore 125 million acres of land in Latin America as part of the World Resources Institute Land Accelerator. The solutions include lending incentives for smallholder farmers, partnerships with indigenous communities for forest restoration, and carbon credits for Amazon restoration. Misfits Market became a food waste unicorn. The New Jersey company, which distributes ugly fruits and vegetables, raised $200 million with a valuation of more than $1 billion. Investors see an annual investment opportunity of $14 billion just to cut U.S. food waste in half. Impact Alpha subscribers got all of these stories and many more in The Brief, our morning newsletter delivering actionable insights in sustainable finance and impact investing. Before we turn to Amy and Earth Week, I want to first take a moment to acknowledge this week's verdict in the trial of former police officer Derek Chauvin in Minneapolis. Accountability for the murder of George Floyd is just a small part of this country's winding path toward justice. We learned from his aunt via the Washington Post that George Floyd's great-great-grandfather, who was born into slavery in North Carolina, acquired 500 acres of land during the Reconstruction period after the Civil War. His land was stolen by white farmers, who used questionable maneuvers in the period of backlash that followed. In my conversations on the Reconstruction podcast, I've been exploring how this history shapes every facet of society here in the U.S., including business and finance, and how we move capital toward justice. Last week, Dr. Tiffany Manuel, head of The Case Made, talked about how to make the case for such systems change. You know, if you want to hold a man in a ditch, you got to get down there with him. The country isn't thriving as much as it could because we've been doing so much to try to hold back, right, a, a group of folks from 
being able to experience the kind of justice and liberty that other folks are able to enjoy. Articulating that, like, listen, folks, it's not just that we we are suffering from systems that are that are undermining our health and well-being, but so are you. <laughs> and let us have that conversation. We both have a stake, uh, uh, you know, in solving these issues. And more importantly, our fates are actually intertwined. And this week, Ray Ramsey, interim CEO of the Nathan Cummings Foundation, called out power as a key dynamic we have to face. Well, I love the word power precisely because it creates a level of discomfort because change requires a level of discomfort. And you know, that that what goes hand in hand with power is the notion of thinking about a virtual mirror. If you're gonna deal with power, you have to be willing to look in that mirror. And it starts with the self journey and then it emanates out to all of your associations and the dynamics of the organization that you're involved with. And if it's a true mirror, you can't escape the reflection that's in the mirror. As we sit with that reflection on power, we also might consider the way all of these fights for justice, criminal, economic, racial, and gender, are interconnected, including the fight for climate justice. A climate justice pledge led by the Donors of Color Network is challenging funders to direct at least 30% of their climate philanthropy to Black, Indigenous, and people of color-led groups that are closest to the effects of climate change. Amy, yesterday was Earth Day, and also President Biden's online gathering of world leaders to try to revive the momentum for climate action. Give us the context for what's going on. Sure, Monique. There are two things that are happening. There's the rising climate emergency and the growing acknowledgement that we have to act this decade uh, to stem global warming and the falling costs for renewable energy, battery storage, electric vehicles, and other low carbon solutions, which are dropping faster than anyone predicted. These two trends are leading to what we're calling the Great Acceleration. So 2030 is the new 2050. What seemed ambitious when the Paris Agreement was signed in 2015 is now way too modest. And so are the ambitions of countries and companies pledging net zero emissions by 2050. The key question is, how fast can we cut emissions this decade? President Biden's special climate advisor, Gina McCarthy, had this to say at a Bloomberg conference last week. You know, it's not about 2050. It's about what we do in the next decade. We are at this moment where another decade of delay, we will never be able to recover. We have to spend the money and think creatively about deploying what we already know works and, and the mayor's right, renewable energy is the winner, hands down, when it's given a chance to compete, and, the, and everybody benefits from that. So what was President Biden's climate summit all about? Well, as you know, one of Biden's first acts was to rejoin the Paris Agreement, which the U.S. withdrew from under President Trump. So this was really the U.S.'s return to the world stage. Um, Parties to the agreement have to submit new climate targets ahead of the big COP26 summit in Glasgow this November. So the summit was centered around these new pledges and climate goals that the countries are making. Biden announced a target of cutting greenhouse gas emissions by 50 to 52 percent by 2030. 
That's about double what President Obama had pledged back in 2015. It's pretty ambitious, but it's still behind what the UK and the EU are promising. Well, how do pledges like this affect businesses and investors? Well, first off, these pledges will lead to concrete policies across sectors from energy to transportation to finance that will ripple through the global economy. Countries and companies are increasingly recognizing that it's a competitive advantage to be out in front of the shift to a low-carbon economy. So who's going to reap the rewards of this multi-trillion dollar transition? The FOMO, the fear of missing out, is getting real. At yesterday's summit, John Kerry, Biden's climate envoy, described the opportunity. There's an enormous opportunity. The largest market the world has ever known is waiting for everybody and growing by the day right now. And I don't think these institutions would be talking about investing if it weren't uh, true that they're able to produce a return on that investment for the investors. So this market is going to happen. The challenge is whether or not it happens fast enough. Uh, It's known that to to do this, uh, half, about half of the emissions we have to reduce uh, are going to be reduced by technologies that are not yet at scale in the market. So, you know, we're at four and a half to five billion energy user market today. We're going to go up to nine billion in the next 30 years. That's the largest market in the world. And how are companies reacting to the great acceleration? Yeah, corporations are also moving up their net zero goals. Microsoft, for example, wants to be carbon negative by 2030. So now these companies have to figure out how to achieve these lofty goals. So they're pushing their suppliers to green their own operations. The corporate pledges are also driving demand for carbon credits and offsets and the like. So there's a bit of a boom underway as companies pay farmers and forest managers to sequester carbon. So we're starting to see how these climate goals, whether by countries or corporations, will really uh, make their way through the global economy and and really um, accelerate the, the transition. Well, let's keep a close watch. And that's going to do it for your Impact Briefing this week. You can read all of these stories at impactalpha.com. Impact Alpha's podcasts are available wherever you listen, made possible by Impact Alpha subscribers. Join them and receive the daily brief and full access to impactalpha.com and more. Podcast listeners get $100 off their first subscription. Go to impactalpha.com slash subscribe and use the code briefing100 for $100 off. Thank you for listening. And thanks to Amy Cortese and our producer, Isaac Silk. I'm Monique Aiken, Managing Director for TIP, the Investment Integration Project. Make sure to check back for next week's briefing. And until then, take care.